0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 138 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best Omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today we have two, we're going south, we have two Southerners, one from Kentucky and one from Tennessee. This is Debbie Lauks and you're listening to The Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen.
2: Greetings, Debbie. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm excited about this episode. It's very timely. I think probably a lot of the principles we'll talk about, though, are really principles of good horsemanship, which I guess is what we're all about, right?
2: Well, that's why it is The Horsemanship Show, right?
1: Oh, I know. It must have been subliminal. Eh.
2: Well, when when you first started the Horsemanship Radio Show, which is, what, two, three years ago now? Gosh, it's been a while. I can't believe it's been that long. It's like yesterday. Um, And you came up with the name of the show. I thought, well, that's brilliant because everything else doesn't count if you don't get the horsemanship right.
1: That's a great byline right there. I like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't matter how much time you spend trying to put your heels down. Mm-hmm. or get trying to get the coat shiny mm-hmm. or trying to keep your horse from get ulcers if you don't get the horsemanship right because the horsemanship is really the blanket that covers all the rest of it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I always like to say the horses are fine. It's the manship part that we got to get <laughs> right
2: it's or the or personship. You're right. It's in. the personship. You're
1: right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really what we're about here. I think is that, you know, how do we affect horses lives? How do we keep them in our lives? And, and who are some of those people that are doing a good job of it? We like to have them on who's the next generation coming out that, you know, believes in horses and loves horses too, and really gets it. So I mean, I think that's, that kind of is embodied in our two guests today. We have Joe Camp, who a lot of people will know from The Soul of the Horse, which is his first breakout book. And then he's written lots about that since. And we we, we take a journey with Joe, who really wasn't into horses. He was a little bit as a kid, but he became famous for making those Bingey movies, the movies about the little dog, that, the adventures of Benji, And and he did it as an overcomer too. So it's a great story in itself. And then we have Stacy Hancock, who just comes from you know, the middle of Kentucky, and her roots are not only in the bloodlines of horses, but she married into the Hancock family, which is a dynasty, really, in Kentucky, and they've always loved their horses, and it's bluegrass and, and beauty, and uh, she, but she has a cause. She learned, you'll hear her story, early in life things that made her change her trajectory with horses, and it's pretty compelling. It's really yeah. beautiful. Two,
2: two people with really amazing 50,000-foot view perspectives. I'm so excited, and we're going to get right to our first guest after this from our title sponsor, Omega Fields.
3: Hi, Joe Camp here to share about Omega Fields. Omega Fields exists to help you keep your first promise to the horses you love, to care for them well. Nutrition is the foundation of a healthy life and supports all the activity that brings you and your horse so much joy. Omega-3s from flax are the cornerstone of that foundation. So, coupled with the finest ingredients and their proprietary pure-glean flax stabilization process, they created Omega Horseshine, Omega Horseshine Complete, Omega Nibblers, Low Sugar and Starch, Omega Antioxidant, and Proventum Probiotic Soft Treats. Thousands of horses are experiencing a vibrant life with the help of Omega Fields products, including all of ours, a part of helping you keep your promise to your friends. Nutrition, for a healthy life, isn't just their slogan. It's their purpose.
1: How does a neophyte with no experience produce and direct a movie that every studio declined to distribute so he forms a distribution company and propels the film to the number three movie of all year, all with no help from Hollywood. This is Joe Camp. Well, welcome back to Horsemanship Radio. Joe Camp, how are you?
3: I am great, and I'm really happy to be here. It's always good to talk to you, Debbie.
1: Uh, it's good to talk to you, too, and catch up. Uh, how are the horses?
3: They're all they're all good. They're hot right now. They're all I think they're probably all crammed into the side shed of the barn to keep the flies off their faces. But uh,
1: uh, Is the, it uh, is it fly and and heat season already? As, a, as we speak and recording this, it's the in nearly the end of May in Bellbuckle, Tennessee. So yeah, where'd you get the heat from?
3: We're in the nineties, you know, oh. low nineties right now. And it's uh you know ten degrees above normal for here for this time of year, is what they tell me on the radio.
1: Oh my goodness. Sorry about that. Well, I'm glad you have shelters for your horses, and uh, you have always been an early adopter of some great ways to take horse take care of horses, which is so interesting that you didn't start into horses, well, other than fooling around a little bit when you were a kid, but when did you get serious about horses? What age? I think...
3: 68, I think.
1: There you go. What
3: 68. It says in the soul of a horse, and I have
1: to. Yeah, had to look in your book.
3: <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I'm more than that now, and <laughs> so I, you know, I have to, I have to go check these things. But I think, was, I think it was 68, is what, uh, what it was when we first got into it, stumbled into it actually.
1: Yeah, uh, you are I, such I, a. I, I'm her- a
3: little bit impetuous from time to time, and uh, Kathleen. We had this house down in Valley Center there in California at the time, in uh, San Diego County, and uh, we were up on a hill, and you look out to the west where the sun was setting, and it was beautiful, and down below, there were a couple of these stalls uh, that had been left there by whoever, outside stalls, with, you know, half roofs on them and whatnot. And we talk about, wouldn't it be nice to have a horse or something down there wandering around the stalls when we're out here having a little glass of wine in the evening and whatnot? And she says, well, maybe we ought to take a trail ride sometime and just see what horses are about. And I said, well, let's let's do that sometime. And so she pulls me out of bed on my birthday and drives me down to this park where there's a horse trailer with three horses all saddled and ready to go. And we went out on this six-hour trail ride, and two weeks later, we owned three horses. <laughs> <laughs> and I can I can promise you that a trail ride and two stalls on the property is not a good reason to go out and buy three horses yeah. at that mm-hmm. impetu- impetuously.
1: Yeah, but, that was impetuous. But I don't, that, I, know. I know there's probably been a couple of regrets. But seriously, you don't regret it.
3: No, no. It uh, <clears throat> the the thing was, and the thing people say to me say how how in the world could you start writing a book about horses less than a year and a half from being into horses which is what i did but we started doing research because it seemed like everything that people were telling us about horses and why they had to have shoes and why they needed to live in a stall and all of this stuff uh began to not make a whole lot of sense and trying to understand the horse more took me into the wild horses, which, of course, were living as though they were in the wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, uh, uh, so I began asking questions about that. And, you know, wow, you know, they they're doing fine out there. They look great. They're doing great. And nobody's tending to them, and nobody's putting them in stalls or putting shoes on their feet or whatever. And uh, why is that exactly? And I was told that you can't you can't compare the two because we had bred literally bred all the wild horse genetics out of the horse by what uh-huh. we've done with them personally. And so that took me out of the horse world into the scientific world, which I, and okay. I joined this AAAS. I think is the name of it, so I could get to their archives, and sure enough, found out that you know it, it would take something on the order of five to ten thousand years oh. to change, to even begin to change the basic genetics of any species, horses hmm. included, and which means that basically, you know, the horse in my backyard is the same as the horse out there on the on the wild plains in Mm -hmm. Montana or wherever. And when they have been evolutionarily genetically built to live a certain way and you come in and go wham and change that, I mean, it's got to cause certain amounts of stress. And Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine yourself having to live in the water for the rest of your life. You know, we're not built to do that. And uh, uh, there are all kinds of levels at which that would be really terrible. And uh, uh, so I, you know, I really started digging deeper on it and and looking at some studies and some things people had done. And so literally, well less than a year after we we were now up to six horses, I think, at that point in time, uh, we pull the shoes on everyone I called the vet and I said we're, we're going to take the shoes off and he said which one and I said all of them and he said well don't you think you ought to just go one at a time and <laughs> see how it goes and see how it works one
1: horse one. at a time I assume not one shoe yeah. at a time right okay yeah
3: one horse at a time and I uh, I said no they're all coming off and so we did and before long we had them you know, out of the stalls and on small patches of land. And the land there was, you know, straight up and down and boulders and everything. But Mm -hmm. uh, at least they were out of the stall. Somebody did a study on a horse in a stall and and, and the result of the study was that a horse in a stall will move on average 800 steps in a 24-hour day. Yeah. A horse in the wild moves you know, 8 to 20 miles a day. Yeah. Yeah. Searching for food. And all that stuff makes a difference in everything that's going on, you know, in their body, their digestion, their, you know, the way the structure of their body is, is working and supporting and being, you know, fed. And so we got them out of the stalls and we had a, a little piece of property on the backside of this hill going down and I, it was basically worthless because there's nothing you could do with it. You couldn't put a house on it. It's way too way too steep. And so we wound up turning that into kind of a makeshift paddock paradise where we wound up putting all of them. And, you know, I was scared to death that, you know, they were going to slip and slide and it was going to be terrible and they were, they were going to kill each other or get hurt or whatever. But that's the kind of territory that they grew up on, evolutionarily right. speaking. Yeah. and. And, the, I mean, I, the first one that we took out and put over there was a, a paint. His name was Scribbles, and he was what I would call, and his favorite speed was stop, and you know, he, he was as lazy as they came. And we took him over there and, and took the halter off of him just to see how he did on it. And, I mean, he was gone like a shot. I'd never seen. That's a different horse than we ever saw before. And him, he was kicking and having the best time, and up and down that hill, and uh, finally came back over and stood for a little bit, panting, and said, "You know, thank you very much." <laughs> <I like this." laughs> and so that's that was the beginning of it. And I finally got to a point where I said, "I got to, I, I got to tell folks, you know, about this because there's." There's uh, way more to it than the guy down the street is telling us on uh, what he's done and what his pappy did and what his grandpappy did and all of that, and that's why he's doing what he's doing is because that's the way it's always been done.
1: Oh, Joe, I'm so sorry. I, I bet you were just ready to throw up your hands and start from scratch. How did <laughs> How did you go? How'd you get on after that? Because we know we know the in, ending is good.
3: More or less, you know, uh, it's what we did. You know, we just went back and and, and started looking at everything we were doing. And uh, you know, I often say that the question, when people ask me questions, I, I usually say the answer is, "What would your horse be doing for himself if he were still in the wild?" And mm-hmm. try to replicate that as best you can under the circumstances that you have been blessed with. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what. You know what it came down to, and what it was all about, what we were trying to do, and and I, as I think I mentioned earlier, I just you know I, I got so excited about this and the way they were responding to to all of the we weren't doing, mm-hmm. and uh, and all that you know I, I told Kathleen I have to I got to get this down. I, I it's it's our experience, you know, and and so I I wrote that book, the first one. They mm-hmm. called The a little horse the and, horse, it, and yeah. it was and it was kind of a diary of our experiences you know it's not a preaching book it's a a story book more or less mm-hmm. uh about what we were discovering and how amazed we were at most of it and uh uh and how well it was working and and mm-hmm. uh i'm happy to say that 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 book mm-hmm. uh touched bond. a gorg. I, I know mm. there are a dozen uh, on horses. Is it a dozen going.
1: now, Joe? Wow.
3: But, but the Soul of a Horse is, is in its 16th printing. It was wow. a national bestseller and is still going crazy at that. Yeah. Uh, and it, uh, you know, a day doesn't pass and we don't get an email from somebody somewhere Yeah. saying thank you, thank you, thank you. And, that's what makes it
1: all worthwhile. For it, it is. I, I would love to know because now you're so experienced as as more than most authors ever could be by so many books that you've put out. Not all of them uh, necessarily about horses, because you started off with a career of, uh, around uh, dogs. Really, I mean movies and everything too, but. But when you sit, so tell me about the process to write a book. I, I was about to say you sit down, but that might not be your process. Do you, do you, are you a disciplined one of those guys who says, I should write a book about, or are you inspired, or does something happen in your life that you think, ah, you know, people need to know about that, or how does it go?
3: I, I think mostly it's passion. You know, the, the, uh, I have noticed that when I, mean, the soul of a horse was all passion. You know, and it was driven mm. by by uh, passion. And what I what I have come to understand uh, later in life is that you know God places that passion, mm. and we'll be there for the you know for the duration. But what's happening most of the time is you know you need you need some stuff to change, you need to work on some things, and he puts the right things in front of you so that you... So
1: it's personal. You,
3: know, you have to, you have to, you know, uh, learn and be ready for what it is that you're going to do, and uh, he just doesn't have any uh, conscience about not telling you yourself what it is. <laughs> you just have to go on down that road, but but it's all, I, I think it, 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 if You know, when you're following your passion, then you have the stuff that it takes to get around the obstacles, dig under them, you know, climb over them, do whatever it takes, because they're always going to be there. And nothing is going to be easy when you're out there plowing, you know, new ground on something. And uh, and so I'm a big proponent right now of telling people to follow their passion. I have been blessed enough to be able to do that pretty much, you know, my entire life. And, and you know, the, all the stuff with Benji that uh, we began. That, that that It couldn't have been a more miserable experience than <laughs> trying to get to and through the making of that first Benji movie. But uh, it, was, it was so passion-driven that there was no way it was not going to happen. You know, it was going to... Mm-hmm. You know, every problem wound up getting solved one way or another, and uh, you learn to say no a lot, you know, and not accepting something that is less than what you feel like it mm-hmm. ought to be. And the same thing was true with the horses. When we, when we got into that, it was all, you know, very passion-driven, and and several of the books are passion-driven. Some of them are just trying to, I mean, there's a, a book called Horse, Horses and Stress, which is mm-hmm. just... I mean, it's a subject matter that I think is really important, the, the this damage that stress does. And finally, the medical profession is acknowledging in humans, you know, the damage that stress causes and, and how physical that damage can be. And uh, I think it's, you know, anytime that you're, you're changing the course of the way a horse is genetically designed to live. Is going to cause stress at some level, and it uh, you know the removing of that stress I think is really important. So that that one I mean the 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 goal of that book I guess was had passion driving it, but it was really trying to bear down on the facts and 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 the research and prove to folks that this is something that they need Mm -hmm. to pay attention to. But, How
1: much do you rely on science to to write your books versus just uh, talking to horse owners out there or people who you you trust have horses in their best interest Yeah,
3: well, well there are very few of those. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, your dad's one of them. <laughs> oh, <very> nice. <laughs> not too many, there not too many out there. I mean it, it I it, the science, you know, I, I don't get into the depths of the science because, to me, that's where the passion gets lost. Mm. Uh, but when I know it's true, that's all I need to know, and so I use yes. that certainly as a building block for what, you know, for, for what we're doing and what we're changing, you know, with the horses and so forth, and uh, it has always worked very well. It's, it's a lot like, you know most of the books are a lot like fiction. And, you know, the way I have approached fiction in my life has always been to let the character do the work. I see. And wherever that character goes is where we go and where we wind up. is That goes all the way back to Benji. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because I was inside that dog for the entire period that I was yeah. writing that thing. And, it, uh, and I think that's why it ultimately came out like it did, that it's, you know, it was such a unique experience for most people, and most of them don't even realize for sure why they liked the movie so much, but it's because they lived it inside the heart of that dog, rather than inside the heart of the people who are, you know, who own the dog, and the dog is more or less a prop, and in this movie, the people are the props, and so it's,
1: it's from the animal's perspective.
3: Yeah. yeah, it all comes. It all comes from emotion, and
1: yeah. and
3: uh, that's what you know we're doing with the horses right now. You know, we we have seven at the moment.
0: It's growing. And
3: we work with them all always at liberty. I mean, we they never have a halter on. Uh, vet was out yesterday to draw blood for a thyroid test because one of them has an iffy thyroid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we're trying to monitor the level of the medication that goes in to her and so forth. But anyway, she's, she, you know, the vet came up. And it was a vet tech, actually, and says, do you think we need a halter? I said, no. I'll just hug her and you do your work. And she didn't so even nice. flinch. you know. Yeah. So they all... They all know where they're supposed to be. They all will walk with me on a call. They'll come to a call and pasture. And it, it, it all goes back to exactly what you know, where we started, and that is with Mahdi's join-up. And uh, we now say that there are lots of ways to do join-up to get the result that he got, which is... Mm-hmm. Let the animal make the decision to trust you. That's right. And once that's done, everything changes. It just does.
1: I love your standards. Your standards are so high for horses. And I think that's a a life lesson for anybody who gets in the horse business at 68. (laughs) You might as well set your standards really (laughs) high and do everything right so you don't have to spend this lifetime making a bunch of mistakes. But no, you're, you're a great student, a great professor now, writing all these books and Um, I think people would love reading you for your standards because there is total transparency. And uh, I don't think anybody would say, wow, you, you know, you bend it a little bit. No, you you tell us straight up what you believe and and what what that's based on. And I I love that about you, Joe Camp.
3: That's very sweet. Thank you. (laughs) Things like this talking to you keeps us going, you know. (laughs) Oh my
1: gosh. You and Kathleen have done so much uh, peripherally for the horse industry. I just love that there's, you know, there's 80% of us out there, horse owners that are recreational and we, we just want to do the best for our horse. We're not trying to win ribbons or compete at some high level. We just want to take good care of our horses. So they'll take good care of us. And, and I think you speak for a lot of us out there and I appreciate that.
3: Well, I just, one of the things I. really try to impress upon people and you know notwithstanding how good Marty is at what he does and uh, changes people overnight just boing uh, it comes a time when I tell folks, you know, you need to get off the clinician dole and get down there and learn from the horses. Spend Switcher. the time with the horses. Put the DVDs away. You've got the basics now, you know, and go down and spend the time with the horses and it will pay you back in, in yep. huge, huge amounts. And and particularly if you've got that, that trust thing going from every one of them, then th- they've kind of, we've got seven totally different personalities now and they all yeah. are treated in different ways. But mm. I know that because of the time that I have spent. Right. With them. And, exactly. uh, uh they, 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 they will do anything I want them to do. As long as I am good enough to communicate what I want them to do. <laughs> you know, mm, very good. Very me good. to be able to, to communicate that i Uh, Cavaglio was in town not too long ago, the the traveling show and whatnot, Mm -hmm. and there was this lady who had 12 horses, I think, lined up, eight or 12 uh, lined up in kind of a semicircle, and on cue, the first one spun, did a 360, and halfway through it, the second one picked it up and did it, and that's the way it went, all the way down like a wave, Mm -hmm. all 12 horses doing this and I was just blown away and I said, you know, how in the world do you, no, how do you train one horse <laughs> to spin when you're not on them, when you're on the ground? Yeah. And because I, it occurred to me finally, when I got down there and started trying it with Zeke, that the, the everything that I did with him was face to face, you know, mm. come to me, back up, make a bow, you know, say, wait you with your foot, you know, whatever, whatever flex and he does all this stuff just on cue and yet it's all face to face and how what did I have to do to get him to turn away from me and then come back. That's right. Spin? And so it 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 it, it took me then, a little while to to figure I, it out and I finally had to break oh, the rule to do it. Okay. I had to I had to put a rope on him to to do it, but it took three times. You know, I just wrapped the rope around his butt and, and, mm-hmm. and told him to spin, same cue that I'd been trying before, and, and light tug on the rope. And so he went around three times, and fourth time was without the rope. I mean, he, he nailed it.
1: Thank you for being on Horsemanship Radio. I appreciate you.
3: I appreciate you and uh, all the good work you're doing.
1: Thank you, Joe Camp. Cavallo Horse and Rider, Carol and Greg Giles, too, have been longtime supporters of the Horsemanship Radio, and we thought, you know what better way to show how their support goes than through the people who buy their boots. So we have this from Brenna Eldridge on a Facebook post. I could not be happier with my decision to transition my horse to barefoot and choosing Cavallo for his hoof protection. I always thought my horse just had bad feet and that he would always be lame barefoot until I realized that I was enabling that dependency. By allowing his feet to adapt back to the way that they were naturally intended, his feet have become strong and he now seems perfectly comfortable barefoot. With the added weight of a rider on rough terrain, I invested in my first pair of Cavallo boots. I went with the Trek boots, and they fit him perfectly. I was able to do anything that I could do in metal shoes, and I have no longer stress over him losing a metal shoe and damaging his hoof when removed. The Cavallo boots have provided him greater shock absorbencies when riding on hard ground, and so far, whether it be on trails or in the arena, he seems extremely comfortable in his boots. I do a variety of riding, including trails, gaming, and drill, and I'm excited to get into the gaming season to put truly those boots to test i believe that in horsemanship you have to pick methods that make the most sense to you and for me that is the naturality of barefoot and the protection of the cavallo boots brenna Raised in Louisville, Kentucky, Stacy Hancock cannot reta- recall a time when the horses were not a major part of her life. A member of Louisville's Long Run Pony Club, she also showed regionally in the Junior Hunter Division on an OTTB and off-the-track thoroughbred. Stacy and her husband... Arthur Hancock, the third, have raised three Kentucky Derby winners, Gato del Sol, Sunday Silence, and Pegasus, as well as six champions in the U.S. and Europe on their stone farm outside of Paris, Kentucky. Stacy has played an integral role in the farm's success. The Hancocks raised six children who share their passion for the horse and farmland conf- conservation. Stacy has worked on legislative efforts to ban the slaughter of American thoroughbred athletes, including spearheading the Kentucky Derby Winners Against Slaughter campaign. Stacy was an original founder, director, and first chairman of the board of the Kentucky Equine Humane Center which was developed to provide an alternative to slaughter she's a past member of the responsible breeders council at the humane society and in addition stacy is a founding member of water hay oats alliance llc and she remains very active as that organization's managing member and supports passage of federal legislation to ban drugs in racing stacy continues to work to rehome stone farm's retired racehorses into second careers well, welcome, Stacy Hancock. I'm so pleased to have you finally on the show. How are you?
0: Thank you so much. Thanks. It's an honor to be on your show and appreciate you inviting me.
1: Oh, it's, you know, it's long overdue. I know we have been, we've had a few interviews on here about woe. Water, Hay, Oats Alliance, which if you're a founding member of. And so we've talked a lot about why that's so important in your life and why it's important in horses' lives. So I wanted to expound on that eventually in this conversation. But since I have you on you know, I want to talk about your horsey background first and learn a little bit about Stacy and why you are so passionate about horses. And um, that's what most of our listeners are more interested in than the politics anyway. Right. But, well, we always want to know how to help our horses more. So I'd like to start off just asking you about your horsey background. What'd you come up with?
0: Oh, wow. Well, I guess as far as I can remember, you, you asked me to consider this question. And as far as I can remember, I've just been drawn to horses. So I came up in Louisville, Kentucky, and it was not a remarkable, you know, horsey background. I just was one of those little girls who pestered their parents to Mm -hmm. the point where I finally got a pony at, I think I was about five. Princess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She was not a princess, but (laughs) she Ah. was to me. (laughs) She she was a little Shetland, so she had quite an attitude. Don't they? Yeah. she She was my first pony, and I just grew up kind of in the wild with my friend Olive and we, we rode our horses out, you know, all day. So it was a great, great childhood. And then then I was finally introduced to Pony Club in probably middle school and started started going to Pony Club and thought that was pretty cool and then kind of graduated into horse showing. And so when I got into the horse show schedule, that was basically where I spent all of my time mm-hmm. through high school and I had an off the track horse named Who's Sorry Now and That's he was a great he was great. He took good care of me. We had a lot of fun together. He was smart and athletic and, and those were you know four or five really great years in my life. And then my dad said, "Well, you can either try to be on the Olympic team, <laughs> which is <laughs> a joke." <laughs> it's a big but jump. But you could either do <laughs> Yeah, you can do that, or you can go to college. So oh. I did. I did go to UK, and I got an equine marketing degree from there. And while I was in school, I started working for Warner Jones and Hermitage Farm mm-hmm. at the sales, and we were like the first girl show team—all um, girl, all girls. Yeah. He came to Pony Club one day, and he said, "I'd like to get some girls Smart. to show to show these yearlings. You know, as if you're in a confirmation class." Mm-hmm. So we thought that was great. So we did that for about four years, and it was really fun. And it was, you know, nice to be considered trailblazers
1: mm-hmm. in that
0: way. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you feel like it? Did you feel like uh, you had to show up the boys a little bit, or or? Oh, absolutely.
0: Just... <laughs> and I mean, we, we were really kind of the talk of the town. <laughs> Forbes magazine came and did uh-huh. an article about about us. I've got this picture on my wall of us standing there in our little sail shirts. But that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was really fun, and. It's a great way to cut school and go work at the. Mm-hmm. We'd work the September sales, the July sales, the November sales, January sales at Keeneland mostly. So,
1: did you anyway, feel like? Did you feel like before? I I'll interrupt for a second, but no, no. Do you feel like um, that the boys thought you weren't strong enough, big enough, good enough? What What was the what was the tipping point there? I
0: feel I feel like before. Mr. Jones had, it was really a marketing ploy on his part. But before he invited the girls to show yearlings, I I feel like it wasn't considered the place for girls to be in the, in the shed row. Gotcha. So, and then when we got there, you know, we had, we had more success with the um, tough colts because we, I think the girls tend to use a little bit more finesse than muscle. And so we, we earned a a good reputation and people took us seriously. The guys took
1: us seriously after that. Thank you. Thank you, front runners. I appreciate that. And I think you're exactly
0: right. So at any rate, and then when I, when I got out of school at UK, um, I got a first job at the horse park, which was just starting here in Kentucky. And now, I mean, if you look at the Kentucky horse park, it's such an amazing facility and all of the great events and shows and educational opportunities there. great but that was short-lived because um, I ended up getting married to my husband Arthur Mm -hmm. who I had met at Keeneland and um, so we married and I thought it was great because I took my equine marketing degree and came to work for stone farm and
1: yeah that's pretty cool Um, that's I mean that is a storied family to marry into as some of us know and and I don't know. Did you take it as a huge responsibility or just like an adventure?
0: I think, at, you know, at a young age, I took it as more as an adventure. Mm-hmm. Now, as I look back, sage old woman that I am, <laughs> now I see things differently. But it was just, it was an adventure. He had just left Claiborne and was starting his own farm. So we were, you know, we were on our own, blazing our own trails. Mm. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And, I, you know, I couldn't believe I ended up on a horse farm.
1: Yeah, but it makes sense. It makes sense that you stayed in the industry through, I mean, getting people through high school these days, staying in the horse industry is pretty hard even. So um, I'm glad we didn't lose you somewhere along the line and going into the equine marketing at the UK. I mean, that's like epicenter for, mm-hmm. for the industry, which is pretty cool. So, so good. So I know that we're going to eventually talk about equine welfare. What, what got you focused on that?
0: I think I was pretty oblivious to the situation until, I don't what year would that have been. It was late in the nineties and, and, you know, obviously we'd followed racing and Acceler was a champion racehorse and, mm-hmm. you know, the cream of the crop and news came across the wires that he had been slaughtered in Sweden. Yeah. And it was like, someone just hit me in the face. I mean, I, I couldn't believe that a whor- horse like that would end up at slaughter. So I started kind of investigating and learning about it, and that's probably what kicked it off for me. We had had a horse, Gatto del Sol, who won the Derby in 1982. And Gatto came to stand here at the, at the farm, at Stone Farm, and was not very popular with the American breeders. So we had arranged a situation for him to go to Germany because he was a grass horse, a distance horse. We thought he'd be a better fit there. And so when I heard about Exceller though, I my ears went up and I found out where Gatto was and made sure he was okay. Mm-hmm. And in the end, we ended up bringing him home a couple years later and retired him. And he lived out his years
1: here. Why did you bring him home?
0: I was just concerned that if it could happen to a horse like exceller it could happen to any horse. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I that mm-hmm. became my, began my advocacy about anti-slaughter. I mean, so I got really involved. That was really my first my first entrance into mm-hmm. being an advocate and feeling that really with a good horse you, you get a platform and I felt it was my responsibility to use that platform and speak for the horses.
1: So do you feel like you had some influence there? Like do you feel that there's a larger percentage of people in the third bed industry that feel that way these days?
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I really feel like everyone was very naive and didn't think about what was happening to horses when they left the track. Mm-hmm. And now I'm really proud to to be part of this growing movement of equine Mm. welfare advocates, you know, whether it's worrying about slaughter and trying to get the slaughter bill passed in in Washington or the growing movement to bring thoroughbreds into the show ring, um, you know, on and on. They have uh, other jobs available to them. Right, And also and also to keep them sound while they're on the track so that they can have second careers.
1: Right. And I, I think right now, you know, the thoroughbred industry is under a lot of fire, justified in a lot of cases, but it is under fire. And I think we lose sight of all the people like Stacey Hancock who are insiders, but who care for horses. And if we listen to you, perhaps we could learn more about how to help these horses. Do you believe that's true?
0: I do believe that's true. I, I think insti- if you love horses and you love horse racing or you love horse showing or you simply love riding out, you know, it, you you need to take a collective responsibility. That's the way I feel.
1: How do people do that? How would they do that?
0: I think it can start locally, you know, just in your own community and just keeping an eye out for what's going on in your own community, but on a larger scale, if you have a political viewpoint, you need to contact your local or your representatives in mm-hmm. Washington, actually, mm-hmm. and share those feelings with them. I mean, there's been a anti-slaughter bill on the books since oh my gosh, 2005, I think, mm-hmm. and gotten through the House but it's never gotten through the Senate so it's never gotten through to the president's desk yeah. so t- to talk ab- don't turn a blind eye to it it happens mm-hmm. talk about it and try to if you believe you need to stop it try to stop it same goes for for woe um, the Water Has Alliance we were founded in 2012 because we were a group of individuals who were trying to make a difference and we thought that if we band together, Mm-hmm. and spoke with one voice our one voice would be stronger than our individual voices so we formed the group and it's basically an umbrella for everyone who um shares our view to gather under and speak together
1: yeah tell us about that view tell us w- what it what it what its mission statement is what your vision is that it set out to do
0: well our mission statement is basically the idea that horses, race horses, and I would go on to say any horse, mm-hmm. horses should compete um, on their own merits. They should compete on their heart, which we all know they have huge hearts, and mm-hmm. try try for for you and, and try to do what you want them to do, and their physical merits. So by drugging horses or allowing drugs to be in their system on race day or when they're competing, we think it's a disservice to, you know, all the horses and the idea of sport, and then we have the other side of it, that these drugs are not, you know, necessarily good for these horses, and some of the drugs that are being used today mask mm-hmm. uh, pain and mask injuries, and therefore some of those horses end up in catastrophic situations. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we've, we've witnessed a little bit of that, we think. Um, uh, there's a lot of speculation as to what's going on at Santa Anita. And Santa Anita seems to be uh, sort of a, a lightning rod right now for that. But it's starting to dig into, oh, maybe there's too many numbers around the United States as well. And then they start to look at comparisons to the policies outside the United States. And we seem to be a little different on that. But so when you formed Woe thinking, wait a minute, Tell me who some of the strategic first members were.
0: Some of the, the first members, well, it was Arthur and myself, George Strawbridge, the Jacksons, Jim Squires, who had had Monarco, Gary Bizantz, who's big out in Southern California, Cobra Farm, Barry Irwin. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of, that was our kind of initial group to say, let's let's do this and mm-hmm. see what happens, really. And now we've got over 1,800 members. Wow. We have hundred supporters, and we were thrilled when your dad um, honored us with his support mm-hmm. statement and and joined WO to mm-hmm. help Absolutely. move move the cause forward.
1: Well, and that is a storied group that you you formed an alliance with. It it really goes against the statement that you know insiders, you know, are circling the wagons and not wanting to change anything. There you are. You are the the penultimate, I think, epicenter of Kentucky, and and. Racing industry, and you're saying it's got to change. So, what did you see happen over, I don't know, thirty or forty years? Certainly, Arthur's whole life watching the industry. What happened to break that down? That that the the ins, the ultimate insiders had to say. Wait a minute, we want to take back our industry. when some changes made.
0: Well, you mentioned Arthur, and he and he he has been an outspoken proponent for no race day medication for uh, a central office, which our industry has been unable to attain, okay. and for anti-slaughter. For equine welfare, really, he, he came before I did as far as speaking out. I just think it's education, I think, mm-hmm. for a lot of horsemen, and it's probably the same in sport horses as it is in, in racing, but a lot of the owners are in it for fun and and don't really want to get their hands dirty with politics. But still if you own a horse you need to be responsible for that horse and so you need to stand up for them mm-hmm. we just saw our numbers grow we have we have big industry supporters that are members we have other we have other people who are smaller mom and pop breeders and horse industry professionals whether they're in advertising or they're farriers or they're they grow hay for farms we have trainers jockeys vets Racing fans, anyone with a stake in the game. So if if you want to have horse racing, you need all those parts to make it happen.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what would you say to the person who said, "Should horse racing go away?"
0: Well, I, I think it's I think horse racing run properly is a great thing, it's, and it it's a traditional sport. I think we have problems we need to fix, and those of us who've been in the trenches trying to get these things fixed you know, would love some support and some help. I, you know, I would never say that horse racing needs to, to go away. Mm -hmm. We just need, we need some, we need some help in regulating it a little better.
1: I love what you're doing. I I mean, I, you and I even talked about this, that, you know, you hate that you have to work with Washington (laughs) to get things done, but it is one of those, uh, you know, just things that the process that, uh, that happens. But I love that you're, communicating this out that you've taken this to a bigger audience and, an appeal to people for common sense. I think, frankly, you know, I mean, water, hey, oh, it's Alliance. We want our horses natural. We want them to enjoy the ride. No horse gets a bonus for, um, you know, getting over the wire faster to some time They, you know, there is no more money. It's just the first horse over the the finish line that, that wins the race. So if we all back her down on all these ingredients that people are worried about for their horses, then the same results happen maybe in a slower race and that's okay. And maybe even a more natural race and that's okay. But I love to watch thoroughbreds run. I just think that they love it too. I think it's like any athlete who excels in a sport. They love to do it ultimately. And, And I love what you're doing for the thoroughbred after they have either not succeeded at the racetrack or they've succeeded wildly, but they're still young. They're still so
0: young. They're so young.
1: Yeah, compared to so many other disciplines. Think about that. And, you know, in the dressage arena, those horses that are just coming into their own are seven, eight years old. Can you imagine if... Thoroughbreds were thought to be that way, but but what's your vision for for these OTTBs, these off the track thoroughbreds or unraced thoroughbreds, for that matter? Second careers.
0: Well, I think I think there's some groups that are doing a really good job and bringing them back in the in the fore, and the warm bloods kind of took over there for a while. But I just I think it's again, it's our responsibility as racehorse owners to. Make sure that after the horses run at the track, there's other options for them. One of those ways is to keep them sound, mm-hmm. you know, and and make sure that they haven't been damaged by injections and some of these other things that go on. Mm. Other ways are just to try to place your horses. Send them off to some of these new rehabilitation, rehab centers, retraining centers. Do such a great job. Great. So I don't think it ends when the horse finishes their last race. I think we need to think about their future.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And do you have some favorite places for horses that you think are doing a good job in retraining or rehabbing?
0: Well, locally, Mm -hmm. locally we work with new vocations here. Mm -hmm. I think they're coming out your way. Yes. Last I heard, Um, and they do a great job of getting, getting the horses under tack and, Moving so prospective adopters can mm-hmm. see you know see what they what they are capable of, and some of the adopters want trail horses, and some of the adopters would like to try to take a horse you know into the dressage ring or the or inventing world horse showing so mm-hmm. um, I think that's a really good way to do it there are i think you were telling me there are some things online where they're going to match people up. Mm-hmm with horses that need jobs. That's right. Because I think any horse needs a job. They're a happier animal if they have a relationship and
1: a purpose. Yeah. Well said. So what gets you up in the morning wanting to go to the barn, Stacy? You've you've uh you don't have to. You have a nice life there. You uh, you have your horses, you love your horses, but um, is there anything that is left for you to do in the thoroughbred industry that Besides the woe and keeping that drum going?
0: Well, what gets me to the barn are the horses that are in my barn right. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> I have a 31 year old pony I bred and I oh. had bred his dam and I'd bred or I'd had the uh, grand Dam as a pony club mare. So he oh. keeps me going and I have some we have some minis that the children had when they were younger that are a bit aged. And then I have some off-the-track horses that I'm trying to find a second spot for. So I always found that I would rather go clean the barn than do the dishes, (laughs) if that tells you anything. (laughs) So they keep me going. They keep me going. And, you know, I would like to think someday, soon, some legislation will have passed to protect our horses whether it's the anti-slaughter bill or whether it is the Horse Racing Integrity Act, which would will place a anti-doping program outside of the industry, in independent hands, mm. uh, the independent hands of USADA, who oversees the Olympics and some other um, U.S. sports, and we feel that with some industry input, they will better be able to manage. An anti doping system for horse racing.
1: Great. Is, is there anything that Woe needs help with now? Should people get a hold of you, find out more about Woe? How do they do that?
0: Oh, I would love for anyone who's interested to go to the internet and Google us. It's waterhayoatsalliance.com and go to our website and You know, we don't have, we really are a grassroots movement. We don't have um, an office. We're volunteer based, so most of our information is on the website. And if anyone is interested, we'd welcome their membership. It's free. You add your name to the mission statement saying that you support what we're doing. And then when we go to lobby in Washington, the larger our membership, the better off we are. So whether you are an owner or a breeder or simply a horse lover, a racing fan, there's a spot for you in our organization, and and we would appreciate any support.
1: I hope people will do that. If it costs nothing to put your name to a <laughs> list, goodness sakes, put some numbers behind this movement. And uh, we love movements. We love movements going in a positive direction to help horses, anything in favor of the horses. Sounds great. So, Stacey Hancock, we... We tip our hat to you. We love what you're doing, and uh, we hope you'll keep doing it. We want to encourage you to uh, stay strong, even when these, uh, you know, all the media loves to buzz all the sensationalism. We know that you're back there, you know, drumming the drum for horses, and I hope people will get behind Woe and anything else that you recommend.
0: Well, I I really appreciate it, and. Hope, I hope I can go to my computer and see a lot of new members'
1: names. I hope so. <laughs> thanks, Stacy. Thanks for being Thank with you. us on Horsemanship Radio. Thank you.
3: Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word.
2: It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call "Ask Monty."
3: Leave this world a better place in the moon. The magic in the language of the moon.
2: Dear Monty, why does my horse refuse a jump? Monty's answer undoubtedly, you have overmatched him at some point. Get the fences lower, let him have fun, and rebuild his confidence. Elevate
1: the fences gradually, attempting to discover his maximum capability. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips.
3: Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus
0: Online University. Western, English, the beginner,
3: or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too on our forum and there's a new lesson every week it's a lifetime of learning for you on my equus online university at montyroberts.com
1: what in the wide wide world of sports is going on
3: here
0: where in the world is monty roberts
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. July 22 through 26, 2019, Monty's special training is all in Portuguese. So people are coming up from Brazil for that one. And then July 29 through August 2nd will be the Monty special training, our annual Monty special training. A lot of uh, university lessons come out of that one, which is really fun. And August 5th through 16, 2019, is the Gentling Wild Horses course. So get ready for that one. We've got a good group coming to that one this year, too. September 28th, Monty Roberts will travel over to Scotland at the Scottish National Equestrian Center in Oatridge. He will be there on September 28th, and then in October, 12, 18, and 20, he will hop all over. England. He'll be at Hartbury College on the 18th. He'll be at Hadlow College on the 12th. He'll be at Billsborough on the 20th. And then he's going to hop over to Germany. So stay tuned for those dates coming.
2: All of that and more is available at MontyRoberts.com. Or you can give him a call over there at Flag Is Up Farms, 805-688-6288. And for details about today's episode, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about today's guests. And today's episode is 138, by the way. We love your feedback. It helps Debbie come up with new guests and new ideas for the show. So what you need to do is follow Monty Roberts on Facebook. Just type in Monty Roberts and click like and follow on the one with a little blue check mark. That's the official Monty Roberts Facebook page. You can also follow Monty Roberts on Twitter. He tweets. That's right. His handle (laughs) is Monty underscore Roberts. And he's also on Instagram with the same handle. That's Debbie's favorite.
1: I know. It's pretty. (laughs) It's pretty.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Pretty. (laughs) Don't miss any shows from Monty Roberts and all the other shows on Horse Radio Network. Download the free Horse Radio Network app for your iPhone or your Android Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network, download it today. And for the less tech-savvy friends that you have, and we know you have them, take their Mm -hmm. phone from them gently at an appropriate moment. Go (laughs) to their app store and download it for them and show them how to use it. They will thank you later.
1: Such a good friend, really. And many thanks to our sponsors, too. There are good friends, Omega Fields, Cavallo Horse and Rider, and Monty Roberts University. And Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too. I do on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.